Thank you for that prayer, Roger, this morning. That's like the perfect introduction to what I want to share with you this morning. And I will say this, and I don't in any, any way mean to embarrass Roger, but when I think of Christians loving one another, I can't think of any, other, any better example than Roger Schaefer. He exemplifies that. He really does, and he's been a great example to me of what that means. Well, this morning we're going to look at John chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, John chapter 15. And guys, if you could, I'm just going to have you darken that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Last week was Resurrection Sunday. It was Easter Sunday, so we took a break from our study in the Gospel of John. And we come back to that study today. And I just want to remind us as we look at John chapter 15 and verses 12 through 17 that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. This is such a precious section of scripture. Chapters 13 through 17 are known as the upper room discourse. Sometimes it's referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. Jesus is with his disciples shortly before he goes to his own death. And I just want to keep reminding us, because it is so impactful with this section of scripture, that this is the night before Jesus is crucified. This is the night before Jesus goes to his crucifixion. And this is what he says to them in verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, our first point this morning is abiding in Christ. Only when we abide in Christ, in his words, in his love, will we be able to love one another. I want to submit to you, and this is really the theme of my entire message this morning, is that you cannot, you cannot love one another unless you first abide in Christ. You cannot. You cannot separate verses 1 through 11 from verses 12 through 17. A lot of great sermons have been preached on this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And we're implored to love one another. But I don't think you can do that unless you first know what it means to abide in Christ. We can't just give each other a pep talk and say, okay, go out there and love one another. Because in our own strength, 
We simply cannot do it. It is impossible to love one another unless you are first abiding in Christ. So I want to just briefly go back over those first 11 verses. I'll just do it very briefly this morning. I took two sermons to cover verses 1 through 11. Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. In verse 4, chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I have been using the definition, which I believe is a, a biblical definition, and I'll continue to support that today. But I've been using the definition that to abide in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. In verse 7 of chapter 15, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So we learn that abiding in Christ, or we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. You cannot separate the word of God from abiding in Christ. We abide in Christ by abiding in his word. And when we abide in Christ and abide in his word, we will so desire what Christ desires. We will so want what Christ wants that it will transform our prayer life. Because the person who abides in Christ and desires what Christ wants and longs for what Christ longs for, God delights, delights in answering your prayers. In verses 9 and 10, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we learned to abide in, we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. And when we abide in his word, we also abide in his love. It is there. It is there. As we abide in Christ by abiding in his word, that we fall in love with Jesus and become consumed with Jesus. So we abide in Christ by abiding in his word, and when we abide in his word, we abide in his love. And then in verse 11 it says, these things, have, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So as we abide in Christ, by abiding in his word, and when we abide in his word, we abide in his love, then God gives us great joy. That is where our joy comes from. God desires that your joy be full. If my joy is not full, no matter what I'm experiencing, good or bad, blessing or suffering, it's because I'm probably not abiding in the vine. I'm not abiding 
in Christ. And as I shared with you, God doesn't want to take your love, your human love, and make it better. No. He wants to take your human love and replace it with his love. It's very important this morning. He wants to take your human love and replace it with his love. God doesn't want to take your human joy and make it better. He wants to take your human joy and replace it with his joy. He wants his joy to be in us. So every day, our goal is to abide in Christ so that his resurrection life takes over our life, becomes our life. And as I shared with you last week, your time each day in the study of God's word, the reading of God's word, your time each day in prayer are not something that you just fit in. It's not something you just try to make time for here and there in your busy life. No, your time in the Bible, your time in prayer each and every day is the most important thing you do each and every day. We don't come to the Bible as a dry, lifeless, academic document. We don't come to prayer just as some obligation that we have to go through. They are life itself. It is there, it is there. We come to the word of God, we come to prayer to fall in love with Jesus, to be consumed with Jesus. Pastor Mike mentioned that we were at a conference this past week together for the gospel. John Piper in one of the sessions gave a kind of exhortation to young pastors. He said to young pastors, you need to spend an hour every day just reading the word of God for the purpose of falling in love with Jesus. Not just for your sermon preparation or to learn all the grammatical ins and outs, but to fall in love with him. I think that's good advice for all of us. You may not have an hour every day to do that, but you may have 15 minutes. You may have 20 minutes. Whatever time you spend in the word of God, let it be to know him and to fall in love with him. That's how we approach the Bible as a supernatural, inspired book of God. You must, you must know what happens in those first 11 verses to understand our text today. Jesus commands us to love one another. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the commandment of God. It isn't what he just desires us to do, it is what he commands us to do, that we love one another. And I want to say to you this morning that I think this command to love one another is the most, or one of the most difficult commands that God ever gives to us. This is harder 
than we will ever understand. You see, our brothers and sisters in Christ can really annoy us. I mean really annoy us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will say mean things to us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will treat us harshly. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will disagree with us. And sometimes they will really disagree with us. And we are commanded to love them anyway. In the midst of all of that, that's what's being commanded here. No better example of how difficult this is than what we've gone through the past two years with COVID, the COVID pandemic. The unwillingness of the people of God to love each other in the midst of disagreement has been shameful. Absolutely shameful. And not just here in St. John's, but in churches all over the world. This has been a huge, divisive issue. As one brother here shared with me as we were talking together, this was Satan's perfect storm. This was Satan's perfect storm. But this is not new. Throughout the history of the church, conflict and divisiveness among God's people have been one of its greatest problems and poorest witness to the world. Divisiveness and conflict among God's people in the church have been one of its greatest problems and poorest witnesses the to a watching world. This is not new. We've already seen this. This is the second major time that Jesus teaches about this in one night. We saw this as he washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why will they know that you're his disciples if you love one another? Because they will know you can't do this on your own. Folks, everywhere in the world, I don't care if it's the most sophisticated city in a major metropolitan area, I don't care if it's the remotest tribal group at the far ends of the earth. People hate each other. There's political division, social division, tribal division. People killing each other. So when a group of people love one another, even in the midst of disagreement, even in the midst of the fact that they don't treat each other as they should, and yet we still love each other in the midst of all that, something supernatural is going on. 
something otherworldly is going on. And they look and say, that's because they're the followers of Jesus. That's because they're the disciples of Jesus. So in verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The depth of our love is to be so great that we would be willing to die for each other. Now, when Jesus says we are to love as, his lo as he loved and to lay down our life, and he's gonna, about to give the ultimate example of that, our love for each other and his love for us are not identical. I just want to point that out quickly. His death was an atoning death. He died in punishment for our sins. He died to pay for our sins. He died a unique, sacrificial death. However, there is one aspect of his death that we are to emulate, and that is a willingness to sacrifice myself for someone else. Though my dying for someone would never be the same as his dying for someone, there is an aspect of his death that teaches me about the depth of love I am to have for my brother and my sister in Christ. That if my brother or sister in Christ were ever in danger, I am to love them so much that I would even be willing to die for them. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he tells us why this is so in verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus calls us his friends. One of the greatest honors and privileges ever given to a mortal, that we would be called the friends of Jesus. In Exodus 33, it says, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. Jesus says, you're my friend. You're my friend. He says, you're my friend if you do what I command you. Now let me explain what this is not saying. This is not saying that if you keep his commandments, then you get to be his friend. No, it means if you keep his commandments, it's the evidence that you are his friend. Okay, if you keep his commandments, it is the evidence that you are his friend. It's like you may say to someone else, if you're truly my friend, I'll know by your actions. You can tell me whatever you want, but I'll know it by your actions. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but you're my friends. And I have called you my friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. When a master tells his servant to do something, he just says, you go do that. I want you to do this. I don't need to explain it to you. Just do it. But when you're friends, then the master explains himself. You become his confidant. 
And as crazy as it may sound, we are the confidants of Jesus. He told his disciples why he came into this world. He told his disciples why he had to lay down his life. He told his disciples why he has to go back to the Father. He told his disciples how that through him they could have eternal, everlasting life. How a man, a woman, a boy, a girl could be saved. He told us all of that because we're his friends. We're his friends. So I want you to know this morning that we are called to love one another. We are commanded to love one another, but we cannot do that. We cannot do that unless we abide in Christ, knowing that we are his friends. Our second point this morning is a life of fruit bearing. The heart and soul of our salvation is the production of supernatural fruit that can only come from the resurrected life of Christ within us. We are people who are doing things that cannot be humanly done. They can only be done by the supernatural power of the resurrected Christ within us. That's what it means to produce fruit. And by the way, as we talk about bearing fruit, one of the most important fruits we bear is loving one another. Loving one another. In the first part of verse 16, Jesus says, you did not, chose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You are a child of God. You are sons and daughters of the risen King, of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and here's why. So that you might glorify God in your life by bearing fruit, and bearing fruit that should abide, a fruit that can only come from the Christ who lives within you. And he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Always know this. You may know this well, but it's good to repeat. We did not pursue Christ, he pursued us. We did not first love Christ, he first loved us. If you are a Christian this morning, if you are experiencing the love of God, it's because he pursued you and loved you first. First. We are always the recipients of his initiated pursuit and love. So thankful that Pastor Mike read that passage from 1 John. Two amazing verses. 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. You know who knows that verse really well? First John 4, 10. Our Awana children do. In cubbies. They learn 1 John 4. That's how important. By the way, 
It says his son sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is used in the song we've been singing the we sang the previous three weeks, the new song, His Robes Were Mine. And Pastor Mike was mentioning to me, at some point I probably need to define for our people, some may know, some may not, exactly what propitiation means. And I said, well, Mike, I'm, I'm going to deal with a verse that talks about it today, so I'll try to define it. What is propitiation? What does it mean? This is a side note. Propitiation actually is a Greek concept that means to appease or to atone for. Propitiation very simply means this, that Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection, fully satisfied the holiness of God. Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, sacrificial death and victorious resurrection fully satisfied all the righteous requirements of a holy God. We could never obey the law perfectly, but Christ did. We could never pay for our own sins, but Christ did. We could never rise victorious over sin and death in the grave, but Christ did. And that's because of propitiation. And because of propitiation, God can take all that Christ did and credit it to us in our salvation. So the next time you see that word, that's what it means. It's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to do all of that for us. 1 John 4.19 says it so well, so well. We love because he first loved us. I can't say it any better than that. We love because he first loved us. It's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us while we were in rebellion against him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. So he has appointed us to bear fruit in him for all of our earthly life. And then in the last part of verse 16, he says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's repeating what he said in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Same thought here, that if you abide in Christ by abiding in his word and if you and as you abide in his word, you abide in his love, then you're going to desire what Christ desires. You're going to long for what Christ longs for. And it will transform your prayer life because you want what he wants. You desire what he desires, and he delights, he delights in answering the prayers of people with that kind of mindset and attitude. Verse 17 is the crescendo. It sums it all up. These things I command you so that, so that you will love one another. These things I command you to abide in me, to abide in my love, to abide in my word, to know that you are my friends, 
All of this I command you for this reason, so that you will love one another. Let me try to bring together this morning as we close the first 17 verses. Because I believe so strongly they're just one unit. Everything that Jesus teaches in John chapter 15 can be summed up in the two greatest commandments. The first, the first and greatest commandment is this. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That means exactly the same thing as abiding in Christ. Pretty simple, huh? It means exactly the same thing as abiding in Christ. That's why I said that abiding in Christ is to be so in love with Christ and so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. It is the same thing as saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with every fiber of your being, Love the Lord. And if you do that, first, then comes the second greatest commandment. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we can't keep the second command unless we're keeping the first command. Folks, this is where we find our joy. You want joy in your Christian life? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And watch as you love people in such a way, you're actually thinking, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I showed love to that person that I have such a hard time loving. It must be the Holy Spirit. It must be Christ loving them through me. That's where joy comes from. When you do the very things you think you can't do. Folks, this is the fuel for living a holy and righteous life. It is abiding in Christ is the fuel for living a holy and righteous life. I want to live for Christ, not as some obligation, but because I'm so in love with him, I want to please him. That's why we do what we do. We live a holy and righteous life because we want to please the one that we're so in love with. Let me tell you, if you're not in love with Jesus, then your Christian life will become nothing but a legalistic set of do's and don'ts, of rules to follow, and it'll be a hassle and it'll be a grind for you. It's never meant to be that way. Folks, this is the fuel for personal evangelism. If you can't love one another, how can you love people that don't know Christ? You see, it's abiding in Christ and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ that we want to see others come to him. We want them to know the joy that we know. We want them to be freed from the burden of sin, to have the joy of forgiveness and to know him like we know him. But if we're not filled with joy, how can we tell others about him? And if we don't love Christ, personal evangelism becomes a big guilt trip. I do it because if I don't, I feel guilty. 
This is the fuel for world missions. This is the fuel for world missions. John Piper is, has famously said world missions is exporting what we're already doing here in the States around the world because we want them to know that Jesus is our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, our greatest pleasure. It's not just because we have to do it. We want them to know what we know. We don't just want to keep it to ourselves. We want to spread it to the whole world, to every people group in every part of the world, especially to those who have never heard of our Jesus. You see, if the church is to rise up and be the church, we have to abide in Christ and we have to love one another. We have to. We can gripe and complain all we want about what's going on in our culture. Gripe and complain about the LGBTQ agenda. Gripe and complain about the liberal progressive agenda. Gripe and complain about the erosion of our Christian rights and liberties. And those are important things. But I want you to know this morning that until we, as a church, as individual Christians, abide in Christ, and by abiding in Christ, love one another, we will never be the church that God has called us to be in this culture. We will never be the salt and light that God has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, your command for us to love one another is not easy for us to obey. Father, it is not easy. We need your supernatural love and your supernatural power working through us. Help us, help us, Father, to abide deeply in the vine of Christ so that we can love one another just as you have loved us. And we pray this in the name of the vine, in the name of Jesus. Amen.